Hello and welcome to Heroes Unmasked, staff stories from Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust with me, Caroline Verdon. Here's a question for you. What do world-class Mahjong players and professional footballers have to do with Leeds Teaching Hospitals? Answer? They all work for the hospitals. This series goes behind the scenes to meet directors, doctors, support staff and everyone in between to find out who the people behind the masks really are. Hello and thank you for joining us. Uh, In this episode, we meet Luke White. So Luke is a senior project nurse within the professional development team. But what a lot of people don't know about him is that he is completely deaf. So Luke, let's start off with um, how long have you worked within the NHS? So I've been in there for the last 15 years, including my training. I've been about 10 years in um, oncology. And I've done a various other jobs in medicine and surgery. And then I've spent the last sort of seven years in uh, education. And I've got a great passion of teaching and nurturing and developing teams and staff and wanting them to be the best clinician that they can be. Take a huge amount of pride in that. It's what gets me part of morning. So that's that kind of what I do at the moment. What is it that made you want to become a nurse in the first place? Well, really, I think it was a bit of a personal story. So um, my uh, my mum um, sadly got diagnosed with breast cancer um, when I was about 12, and that obviously um, had a real impact. And I think you don't realise the impact it had on you until a while after. And, uh, you know, she, she went through um, a huge amount of surgery and chemotherapy, um, which was um, obviously extremely difficult for the family at the time. Um, but the one thing that kind of... I, I will never ever forget is seeing my mum in that hospital bed and um the amount of you know, people that were coming and going in and out and in and out and, and obviously doing what they needed to do for my mum. But the one thing that really touched me was just one nurse came up to her and just basically held her hand and said to her, you know, this is gonna be okay and you know, we we will we'll support you and support your family. And I have never ever forgotten that nurse. And I just thought, wow, like, she didn't even do anything remotely complicated or that needed a huge amount of technology. She just held my mum's hand. And I just think, wow, like, that, that's the person I want to be. Um, and it, it must have obviously had an effect on me. Um, and obviously, way back then, when I'm talking to another 20 years ago now, um, you know, I, I kind of have this stupid naivete that, you know, um, men combinated. Um, but the fact that that actually had such a profound effect on me, um, I sort of researched into it more and more. And um, I decided to actually go and visit the hospital and get some work experience and sort of see for myself. Um, you know, when I was um, doing my GCSEs, I spent um, a couple of um, hard terms where I actually volunteered at the hospital. Um, and I um, I really enjoyed it, and I, I met quite a few men that were nurses or in kind of nursing professions. Um, and I thought, wow, this is really inspiring, you know, this is, this is something that I really want to get myself into. Um, and I, I just never looked back, really. Um, it has been challenging training, it's been challenging along the way. Um, but what I've got out of it is far more, far more, so... Um, the fact that, you know, 
coming into work now two days will be the same um working with the amazing team that we, we've got here um it, it basically you could have the worst day possible on the ward but if you've got such a great team it wouldn't matter what gets thrown at you you're strong you're okay you've got a team um and that, and that to me has been the most rewarding part of my career so far and was there ever a point in your journey towards becoming a nurse that you ever doubted yourself or did you always think that this is what's going to happen um, there were a couple of times where I thought I wasn't going to receive it. Um, you know, there were a couple of times where I thought, oh, have I bitten off more than I can chew? Um, I mean, for me, obviously, being disabled, I'm profoundly deaf. Um, and I think, you know, let's sort of take it back a bit to the to sort of the time when I was kind of diagnosed at 18 months. And the, the consultant said to my mum, you know, um, he's profoundly deaf, he's got no hearing, um, he's not going to be able to talk. Um, you're going to have to teach him design and um, I know he will need a, a lot of support as an adult um, and I think my mum just kind of refused to believe that she sort of said well you know she's um, quite a religious person she said well God wouldn't give me a child that wouldn't talk you know um, I talk for England and believe me she does <laughs> but um, she, just, she just couldn't accept it and I think she's, she gave up her life for five years, she gave up work for five years and she said, right, I'm going to do this for five years, I'm going to teach them to talk myself. Um, and obviously I had hearing aid put in as a baby um, and I had some support from the um, the local um, death society um, and uh, they um, they worked with my mum, they taught my mum the skills to teach me how to talk um, and by the age of seven I was talking sentences and engaging with the family and so I think if you can get over a hurdle as big as that then you can get over pretty much anything else and feeling in front of you um, and I do remember when I started my training um, I'd, um, you know, I'd done quite well in my GCSEs, I'd done quite well in my A-levels and I thought no I think I'm going to be okay going to university but it was still, it was still a bit challenge, it was still a step, um, it was a step into the unknown um and anyway um the first three months of the course were challenging obviously there was a lot of coursework to do and prep to do and then we had our first placement and um my first placement was on the award and um my first interview that i had with my mentor was quite positive and um it was just more of an observational placement um it being the first placement and um anyway after um about four weeks i had my intermediate um meeting and just started getting to my May um, documentation signed off that we, we needed to get signed off for the placement. And one of the nurses, um, my mentor um, at the time, said to me, you know, I just wanted to say, um, I don't think um, I'd be able to sign you up, actually, on the placement. And I said, well, God, what have I done? And I thought I'd done something really wrong. Um, and I just said, and she said um, well, you know, you can't hear the phone, you can't use the phone, so you're not going to be a safe nurse, are you? And I'll tell you what, you could have pulled the rug out of under me. Um, and I just thought to myself, what? Like, I've got this far. I've, I've been, you know, I've been on placement. You've seen me in practice. You've seen me with patients. You've seen me engage with the team. And just because of a simple phone, you're saying that I'm an unsafe nurse. And I I just said, I can't believe you said that. I, I genuinely cannot believe that you were saying that. Um, and anyway, she was pretty serious about it, and I thought, right. And again, just like another brick wall in front of me, and I had two choices, either get around it or just give up and do something else. But for me, 
there was no plan B. <laughs> I was going to be an A, and that was it. Um, and uh, I went and spoke to my tutor at uni, and um, I spoke to the matron here, and obviously put in a bit of a complaint. And I felt bad doing that, but I thought, no, you've got to stick up for yourself, folk. Um, and I went back and I challenged them, and I said to them, look, you know, how can this make you an unsafe nurse? Because, um, you know, it just, that, that just ruled the crust. And if this, is what, if this is what the nursing profession is now, then how can you care for your patients if they can't look after your staff? And I said, we need to change coats to her. And I think it was just um, maybe to her uninten- un- unintentionally being um, a little bit ignorant, possibly, that she wasn't aware that there's lots of other ways around it. For example, um, you know, I can pass messages on, I can relay messages, um, I can do it through other people. Nursing is not um, you know, a profession that you do individually, it's, it's, it's a profession that you do in a team. Um, and obviously, with a little bit of careful thinking, there are a lot of really good strategies that you can put in place. And I found it and actually went back and packed my pavement um, and showed her that I was capable of actually managing um, on a ward and thriving. Um, and um, you know, three years later, I got my degree, which I was extremely, extremely proud of. Um, and you know, never looked back since then. Um, so I just think sometimes when, when life gives you knocks and things like that, I think you have to really grow and that's the thing, right, well, what can I do? Um, and it's all about the mindset. That's a huge part of what I've learned. It's about, it's about your mindset. And the mind is a really powerful organ. And it, it's absolutely true. Um, and it, I think people just need to kind of think, right, no, this, this is a bit of a problem, but actually, no, what can we do about it? And there are solutions around it instead of just feeling like they can give up. But it's not it's not easy, you know, there were you know, there were times where I actually thought, oh, God, you know, do I actually want to do this or you know, it's gonna be really hard for me but I'm so pleased I stuck with it because, you know, the the enjoyment and the reward that I've had out of it and the patients that I've met, um, the patients have made my um career what it is and um I will always be really grateful for that, you know. Um and and that's why I'm so passionate about education and nature and, and, and um supporting junior member staff is actually passing that on and actually giving them the experiences that I've had in a positive way, constructively, to help them in the future. You're obviously very passionate and also very resilient. And I think um, COVID's kind of taught everybody, hasn't it, to, 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 to be more resilient and to adapt. But for you, things change quite dramatically because obviously you lip read. That isn't something that you're able to do when people are wearing masks. And within a clinical environment, there aren't any masks with clear panels that offer that right level of protection, which has meant for you that your job has changed hugely because you've been unable to work with patients. And so you've really had to work on adapting. Um, I mean, um, it was quite funny because when I when we first had the pandemic in the March 2020, um, I literally spent three, four months just solidly putting staff here at the trust with the FFP3 mask, which is like the more band-type mask that are really well sealed to the face. And somebody said to me, um, how are you managing to do that when you're, you're deaf and obviously not able to um, speak to them? Um, and I said, well, the reason why I'm getting around it is they're coming in and they're having to take their mask off to put another mask on. I'm basically telling them what to do 
and what they are giving me back in information, they do about 100 notes. And so I managed to do 850 staff bit tested just by using 100 notes and a little bit of a clever approach. It sounds a bit like you're having to constantly sort of think on your feet and outside of the box and come up with just different ways of achieving the outcomes that, that you need. So overall, is that what your experience of COVID has been like or ha- has it been quite isolating? Yeah, there have been isolating times. Um, I think it was difficult, obviously, you know, everyone really kind of had to get very quickly up just gripped with using Zoom and Teams and you know, not having meetings face-to-face. And, um, and, and I'm very deaf person and deaf nurse. Just not being able to practice clinically and then having to go from that role into a sort of a full-time non-clinical role with a difficult transition and then having to work pretty much alone or, you know, in an office with maybe two or three other people, but then obviously wearing masks as well. Um, and if I had a pound for the time, I've asked somebody to lower their mask, I could pay my house off. Um, because obviously we have to wear masks and we need to wear them for obvious reasons. Um, but the communication barrier just being immense and um, it's really hard when you're, the little things that you miss, like, you know, you might be walking to the shop for lunch to get a sandwich and, you know, people are walking past you and they've got masks on but they're laughing and joking and they're having a conversation. Normally you might be able to sort of pick up that conversation or you might be able to actually get involved in that conversation. Whereas now it feels like I just walk past. Sometimes I almost sort of hold yourself back a bit from wanting to engage in a conversation because... Right at the start of the pandemic, I always felt guilty about doing that because it would mean that they would have to lower their mask and I didn't want to put them at risk. So I would sacrifice my my enjoyment, I suppose, for safety because I knew that safety came first. As a nurse, safety always comes first, so that's ingrained in me. But then the times where you'd be sat at home and you'd just be thinking about your day and you'd be thinking, well, actually, how many people did I speak to? Nobody. The best way to describe being deaf is it's like being in a crowd, but nobody speaks. The silence can be deafening. And you, know, you feel like you're shouting out into the wind and nobody's hearing. And that that's what being deaf is a bit like. I've given an example, really. I went shopping and I thought, oh, I'll go to the garden centre because I absolutely love my garden. I'm passionate gardener and so I thought I'll go to the garden centre and get a few bits and pieces and um, spend the afternoon in my happy place and um, I went to the garden centre and got to the checkout and I was putting a few bits through. Obviously everybody's wearing masks but they have the great big clear perspex greens up at the checkout and so I know putting stuff through and this is what deaf people do, we predict what you're going to say. So at a checkout you can kind of predict that the first thing you're going to say to you is cash or card. So uh, I thought, right, OK, we'll see how this goes. And then the lady said something to me. I said, oh, card. She's kind of obviously looked puddled, and I thought, oh, dear. So I said, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm, um, I'm completely deaf. Can you pop your mask down so I can look read? She didn't. She just decided to say the same thing, but shout. So I thought, oh, OK. <laughs> so I said the same thing again to her. I said, look, I'm really sorry, um, and I don't shout, just just talk normally, but could you put your mask down because of the barrier in front of it? So I wanted to make sure that she knew I was respecting her safety. 
but I kept my weapon, obviously. And she didn't, and she just shouted. But by this point, she was shouting quite loudly that everybody around me was looking at me. And it was just one of those situations where you wanted the earth to open up and for you. And she started feeling embarrassed. And, and, and anyway, the manager came over. And then them two started having a conversation with their masks on. And I'm just stood there and I'm thinking, hello, am I invisible? Then the manager then started shouting at me through her mask, obviously repeating what the checkout person wanted to say, and so I explained the same thing again to her, so this is the third time I've explained it now. And I thought, I have a disability, I've asked to lower your mask, that's all I'm asking to do, I'm keeping mine on, I'm keeping the dose, all I want to do is pay for my shopping and go and enjoy my gardening. And I actually got that upset that I actually just left my shopping and walked out. I spent the afternoon worrying about what had happened that morning. And I just spent the afternoon generally feeling quite low. And I will never, ever forget that. But I just have to keep thinking, right, let's channel this into something positive, let's do something positive with this then. Because what's the alternative? To give up. Um, and, and unfortunately, I did give up. <laughs> I think um, the way I can describe it is look about like uh, Darwin. You uh, adapt or you don't. And the ones that adapt and thrive are the ones that survive. And I think, you know, if you want to base it on that very basic level of nature, you know, you either adapt to survive or you don't. And I just thought to myself, right, well, how can we get around this? Then what, what, what can we do? I mean, you talk about adaptation, but to, to say you adapted is probably an understatement because you went from a job that was 50-50 clinical to education to not seeing any patients at all. No, um, at the moment I don't do clinical because with obviously the maths situation and um, it's really impacted on my career um, in the sense of you know, going from a, a very clinical job to being clinical but from the sidelines really. The two ways of looking at it, you know, there's one way of looking at it in the sense of I was always really passionate about education and training anyway. But the other side of looking at it is over the last 10 years, I've developed a huge amount of clinical skills and the frustration of not being able to practice that clinically and look after patients, especially when COVID came along. To not be a part of that was just a huge, huge detriment, I think. Um, and it's something that, you know, myself, I have really struggled with the guilt feeling a huge amount of guilt, you know, having to kind of process that while still being supportive and, you know, um, you know I, I wanted to carry on working. I didn't want to be one of those that just gave up because, you know, nobody else had that choice. And so why should I have that choice? It's so hard because when, when you wanted to be a nurse ever since you were 14, it is really hard to just get rid of that feeling because as a person you care you care so deeply but you care so deeply in a way that it's not just about the patient it's about the staff as well and um obviously you know clear math they're not the first and that's going to be thought of um i get that you know i get that you know we are very 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 small down the you know pegging order um and and in terms of priority i get that um but it just meant that i couldn't depart my death and the staff that I have worked alongside for the last 10 years and got to know extremely well a lot of them I call my friends. 
been such a struggle if I managed having to change my perspective and actually think to myself, right, I can't do this, I can't do that, but what can I do? And go from there. I, I think I'm kind of a, a, a resilient person prior to the pandemic. Um, and I'm sure everybody will agree that, you know, whatever resilience they've had prior to the pandemic, that's certainly been tested twice over, three times over during the pandemic. Um, but for me, it strengthened um, the reason why I want to stay in education, the reason why I want to be um, supporting teams and leading teams. It's not about what role you do sometimes, it's about what you can give, it's about what you come with, it's about your journey. I, I make the point of getting to know everybody regardless of their role. The way I say it, it, it won't matter whether you were in a more junior position than me, or you were doing a role that wasn't as good as me. I could not do my job without you. And that's it. That, that's all there is. It's about, it's about recognising them and having those meaningful conversations. And I, I get a huge amount of pleasure when through talking, understanding and listening to each other, we've actually managed to really learn so much more about each other. And that helps team to engage better and learn better, they support each other. And ultimately that then gets passed on to the patients, you get patients that are getting better quality care, because you have teams that have a greater sense of belonging, you have teams that are better skilled, um, and now you have teams that share the same vision. And to me that that is what I love doing. Um, it's about creating that that sense of belonging. Working on the education team can support any new data. Um, and we've done a fantastic piece of work on this over the last couple of years where we've brought international nurses from around the world um, into aid and we've taught them and trained them and got them ready to be able to sit there and then see And the huge amount of pride and satisfaction we get from seeing them come you know, literally into the trust on the first day, completely afraid and extremely stressed and looking apprehensive and excited about the future. And, um, and seeing them go from that to them being able to like, work on the wards and feeling really confident and supported in the teams. Um, it's been absolutely amazing to see the fact that they've got a nursing qualification in the UK. It's going to open up so many doors for them in their future. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to see um, and, and it's so rewarding um, knowing that we're supporting patients indirectly rather than me not being able to work clinically directly. I feel like I'm achieving something. Absolutely. And your love and your passion for your career just completely shines through. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been really interesting and it's been good to have another perspective and to be able to see the pandemic through somebody else's eyes and, and through somebody else's experiences. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, coming up on next week's episode, we speak to Richard Moyes, who is the general manager of Outpatient CSU within Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust. But what a lot of people don't know about him is that he used to be a fighter pilot. So we'll find out more about that in next week's episode. Heroes Unmasked is an under-the-mast audio production.